Blog Talk Radio. Today, here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. Thanks, Scott. This is Mike Roth. I'm here with Steve Jones. And uh, before we get started, I thought I'd tell everyone about who's coming up next week. We have Adrian O'Brien, who is the president of First Financial Bank here in the Cincinnati market. And on Friday, the 12th, the week from today, we're going to have uh, Betsy Amory from uh, TELUS, a uh, web development company that works on large-scale projects for companies worldwide. The following week, we're going to have Dr. Neil Meyer from the Union Institute, and he's going to talk about Union Institute and how they work with ex-military. On Friday the 19th, we have Chris Adams from Stepping Stones Foundation. He's their executive director. following week, we have Mike Callahan from Document Destruction. He's going to be talking about how he built up his business uh, in a highly competitive marketplace for shredding, document shredding. And the last show in October is Eric Adams from a company called Turnstile. I believe that's another web development company. So, let's see, Sandler upcoming events. Got to talk about something that's happening in January. We have a four-week networking course called Networking Works. Uh, how to build relationships and build, build business faster. If you're tired of making cold calls, looking for new ways to get more out of the networking that you're doing, this course is just for you. Uh, for our radio listeners, if you call in and uh, tell us that you've heard about this course through Cincinnati Business Talk Radio, you'll get a 50% discount. So that course is going to cost you $99. Uh, let's see, Sandler, Sandler clients, both company owners, CEOs, and salespeople. We have the Client Summit coming up in February, February 14th and 15th in Orlando, Florida. I'm told it might actually be warm there, uh, but you're actually going to learn a lot. That That is the second annual Client Summit. It's going to be held at the Buena Vista Palace Hotel and Spa, which is actually across the street from uh, Disney After Dark. Great place. Uh, we're going to have uh, a theme called No Guts, No Gain, How to Become Tougher in Sales, More Assertive. There are going to be two sets of tracks, one for sales professionals and one for company owners and uh, presidents. There'll be a lot of 
opportunities for networking, as well as thought-provoking presentations by Sandler trainers. And uh, Dave Matson, our CEO, will be there with some other announcements about the Sandler Certification Program, which is uh, going to kick off in 2013. Let's see. This month, Wednesday, October 14th, is the one-day cold camp, cold call camp for uh, Cincinnati. This is the last one of the year. Uh, how to stop wasting your time uh, making cold calls that don't work, how to make them productive, how to get 70% of your telephone calls returned when you leave a voicemail message. Most people don't get that, Steve. In fact, most people tell me they don't leave voicemail messages because they don't work. And the, the, uh, the numbers on the phone work pretty well today. They know who we are. Hmm. And then, of course, curiosity killed the cat, and you can get 70%. Ladies actually have gotten documented over 95%. Okay, so Steve, you spent 22 years with Emerson Power Transmission. Uh, what capacity did you work for them in? Started out in the uh, marketing side, moved to training, uh, then into the sales area and was vice president of sales uh, for oh, uh, probably 12, 14 years. Mm -hmm. In 1995, you purchased a Cincinnati marketing and advertising company called Japor, and you were in that business up until 2010 full-time? Yes, I still am. Uh, we still It is still operating fully. Uh, we've changed quite a bit when I bought the company. I bought it from the son of one of the original founders of really? Lowell Lord Jr. Um, but we changed it in the last few years. Things have evolved, and because of uh, the background that we have, and management, we're doing probably 50% is strictly business management consulting in mm -hmm. different ways. Okay, and it's in 2010, you formed a new company called Green Energy Enterprises, uh, and you took on two partners to pursue marketing of new technologies in the field of waste to energy. Uh, while you were at Emerson, you, you were involved in two major acquisitions, product lines expansion, sales channel reorganizations. So you've had some deep management experience. You were involved with the early California wind farms. Yes, we sold a lot of uh, it, internal gearboxes uh, to probably 8,000 uh, along the West Coast. So those wind farms, is that just uh, east of San Francisco? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I I think they're beautiful there. They look, they look really good. Uh, how are you involved with Chinese coal mines? Um, the, the, the short story, I suppose, is because of all of our customers with Japor uh, being involved with trying to either buy, sell, or trade with Chinese companies, either have things made there or, or uh, they want to purchase, you know, purchase there or move into China. I joined the Chinese Chamber, Greater Cincinnati Chinese Chamber of Commerce about five years ago, was elected to the board two years ago. With that, uh, I've developed quite a number of Chinese contacts. Uh, last year, I think our China, Greater Cincinnati Chinese Chamber uh, hosted 120 maybe Chinese companies uh, in Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati area. The last four or five years, we've moved from Outgo outbound, where a lot of our uh, members wanted to buy in China or have things made in China, to the last two years, 
we're working with Chinese companies who want to invest abroad. And so our, our goals today are to get people to invest in the United States. So through a couple of contacts there, um, the Chinese are looking for minerals. Uh, coal has been slow in the United States. So uh, through uh, working with friends and acquaintances that started to be a consulting for a company, uh, we moved into uh, from the consulting with the coal company to helping them sell and partner with Chinese companies for buyers because today they're the major buyers. If you own the mineral, um, you want to sell it. So today you're you're discovering that American coal is being shipped to China. It's been shipped to China for the last few years heavily. Mm. Also to India uh, and Europe. And actually, for general principles, we started working when we started working with them. We we used European contacts and started with them, but with a Euro sort of heading south, uh, we found that uh, uh, the Chinese were, had a greater appetite. And they're built, still building, I think, a brand-new coal-fired power plant every two or three months. They're putting more restrictions because there is a tremendous upheaval there with people wanting cleaner air, but still coal is a major factor in their economy. Okay. And you have a president of... Is this waste uh, green energy enterprises? Yes, uh, we that uh, was started. Uh, we found that a company to be very focused. Um, about three years ago, uh, I was asked to help come consult a company that had a new waste to energy technology. Spent a, spent a few months with working with them. Found that they were not ready technically to to come to the market. I really bought in. I got thoroughly excited about clean energy, clean water, et cetera, personally. And from the business sense, took about uh, six months with, we formed a partnership and said, this is where to go. We looked sort of around the world. We looked, uh, attended some um, forums, conventions, found what we found to be the best uh, clean technology that we could find in the world and, and still and believe it today very strongly. It's a paralysis. People don't know what it is. Engineers don't know what it is. So why don't you tell us what, what it is. paralysis is? Right. Pyralysis. You take uh, garbage or tires or whatever, and it's gasified. You put it in a tube, and that tube has uh, oh, a 1,000 degrees, give or take, and it creates a uh, chemical gasification of the product inside the carbon. Uh, it makes more gas, of which that gas can be used to make electricity into a turbine, or the gas can be used as natural gas. Now, the difference that we found in this system, there are paralysis. Paralysis means no added oxygen, basically. So with no added oxygen, there's no furans and dioxins created. So the emissions compared to plasma arc or burning or anything else, there are is much, much cleaner. So you end up with an emission right off the bat that's 50% of the EU economic European Union uh, standards and well below the California standards for emissions, which is the toughest in the United States. So you have uh, you can turn garbage, tires. Are you talking uh, about municipal waste here? I'm talking about municipal solid waste. Mm -hmm. uh, you can take it and turn it into a usable renewable energy mm -hmm. or tires or or 
cities are just now burying that in landfill fills or taking it out to sea and dumping it? Yes, I hope I don't think they're. Ta- I hope they're not taking it out to sea anymore. They did for years. I know New York City did. New York City today basically ships their garbage to Ashland, Kentucky, and to uh, well, Eastern Ohio, and put put them in uh, uh, landfills there. And they pay hundred bucks a ton for that. So the privilege of shipping it mm-hmm. on tra- on rail and truck, and then they put it into a quarry pit. Yes. That cost up to a million dollars an acre to build, and with that, I mean, I get I get really excited. It's a great it's a great business entrance, um, and it's also great to be able to try to figure out something that can help uh, the world, so to speak. So we're really really driven for this. Do you have any of these uh, municipal waste energy treatment plants in operation around the world? Yeah. Um, there's one right now. Three have been built mm-hmm. um, in Germany. It's ba- it's a German technology, basically funded by the German um, government with a lot of grants and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, the gentleman that that owns Pyrolyzer has a uh, North American exclusive and the ability to sell it around the world. Um, we have uh, two permitted in Germany. Two more permitted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the patents were just renewed and extended December of 2011 and January of 2012 in the U.S. in the EU in December. Um, so they're fresh and new. There are paralysis machines around the world. The thing that this technology does, now you don't want to bore people out, out there, but it basically takes uh, the internal, other internal paralysis machines have internal tars and oils. The patent on this takes those tars and oils, makes it more efficient, probably 20% more efficient as far as your output. Very clean, cleans up the gas. So you have a very clean gas, uh, and you can use it for standard um, natural gas. Just pipe it in a pipeline. Put it in a pipeline and run your right. gas turbines to create electricity. That is correct. Now, in the United States today, because of fracking, which is a good, you know, good, better, you know, it makes our gas here three or four bucks. In Germany, the same gas, which comes in a liquid form from uh, Russia, is probably $18 for a million BTU versus three and a half here. So major difference. So we've actually been looking much more around the world. We set up a, 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 a really great J- Japanese distributor out of here, and uh, they uh, they have the first uh, system up and voted for by a city, and we hope to start construction on it in January. Good. Uh, if anyone has a question for Steve, uh, he's agreed to take some questions. The call-in number is 646-595-4916. Same number every week. We're going to take a uh, short two-minute break if you have any questions. Co- any questions for Steve, feel free to call in. He's as agreed to take the questions. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. At the first sign of trouble, there are three types of business leader. The first type of leader is like a turtle. He pulls his head and tail in and hides in his shell. Turtles hunker down, just trying to survive. The second type of leader is an opportunist. They're like eagles. Eagles spread their wings and take advantage of the winds. They catch the storm wind and rise to new heights. The third group, between turtles and eagles, are called turkeys. Turkeys are average and anxious. They huddle together and move. They never saw, 
However, turkeys are easy prey for those who seize the opportunity and soar. If someone in your industry goes out of business, are you going to get the business? The question is, which type of leader are you? Will you seize the opportunities to take market share and grow, or will your fate be like the turkeys? If you're serious about growth, call me to arrange a confidential meeting, 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. The problem is, their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523, or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Steve Jones. Steve, before we go any further, after the show, if someone's listening to this next week or a month from now, how do they get a hold of you? Well, they can call me at 513-241-2228 or our website, www.gegreensolutions.com or from the marketing side, www.jap-orr.com. And, you know, my people always ask where the name Jap came from, and with two A's in it, Jap, Mr. Jap was Dutch. And if you've ever been to, to that area, Lots of lots of two ways and lots of names there. So the uh, good folks in Cincinnati who who came from Holland figured out people couldn't say Yop. So if I'm ever in Europe with my car, they go Yop or, but in the U.S. they anglicize that to Jap. Mm-hmm. I understand why. Uh, let's see. I had a question for you about the technology. Yes. You say to make the waste materials. Uh, turn gaseous. Mm-hmm. You have to put it in a tube at a thousand degrees. Uh, first is, how do you get the tube to a thousand degrees? And B, how do you get the tube not to melt at a thousand degrees? Sure. Um, we, the types of steels and whatnot you use in the system. This is basically a power plant. I mean, it's a it's a microgrid power plant. It's not just a nice green thing. It's a microgrid power plant. So you use a type of steels and yes. Why did you call it microgrid? Because th- these are small. Uh, you know, you have a thousand megawatt plant when you're talking steel or nuclear. These are three thousand, or excuse me, three megawatts, uh, twelve megawatts, six megawatts. So they basically are good. You can you can stack them together and make a great big one. Or most of the folks, it's we find that a lot of our customers are industrial sites or industrial plants or industrial parks who want to go green. We find that in China, too, because we're talking to China. They're, they have huge amounts of garbage, but they also are interested in, in having a small green city or something like that. That may only need 12 megawatts of power. Uh, but to your, to your question, you have two tubes, and it's specialty stainless steel, one tube and a tube. You put your garbage, your tires, your 
e-waste in the in the center tube. But when you start it to get it to get it, uh, what's, what's e-waste? Uh, computers, cell phones, etc. Oh, a lot of plastics and and whatnot in those. So uh, that's a whole another story that we're working with UC on. But you have sorry to take that off. You have two tubes, and of course it's the, the specialty steels. The whole system is made of specialty steel to handle heat, like any other power plant or or anything like that. So. To start it off, though, you have to have propane or something to get the system up. So you get the system up to your 1,000 degrees, put your material in, and then your uh, chemical process to start. And then what that does is it makes, as that gas comes off, the system takes about 18% of the gas that's made to maintain the heat. The rest of it goes into uh, be used for other electric power or, or whatever you, you choose, or steam or whatever. So this comes out as... Uh Natural gas? comes out as a natural gas, yes, very mm-hmm. close to natural gas. So I'm going to ask a dummy question. Why wouldn't you sell one of these to the city of New York so they could uh, burn all the trash garbage that they have there instead of shipping it? We've, we've only touched that lightly. There is a lot of money in garbage, and we have, we have, there's, <laughs> we've decided not to try to break into it at this time. Now, if the world comes back and there's a bigger need to get rid of the methane coming out of landfills and stuff, we can do that. We we find that some states, uh, when we're talking here in the U.S., are readily to change because they don't. They're small states and don't want to rebuild um, landfills. They're open to talk. We find a lot of interest in uh, Europe and a lot of interest in Japan and interest in China. So, as business people. We have a technology here that we really like, and we're also we're really close on four probably in the U.S. for building them in the U.S. at different different way different places, um, and they're generally all for industrial sites. Um, but as far as municipal sites, when we've talked, everything is politics, and there's politics with uh, who owns who owns who runs garbage in New York City or Chicago or whatever. So. Uh, we don't want to fight city hall, so we just uh, we're just we go where the, I guess you'd call it low hanging fruit in the in the terminology. Okay, and uh, the other thing that we're doing, and I'll just take it a slightly different curve with this. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of months, we've been working with a, a company that had originally worked with NASA to take a look at building farms and how you how you're going to feed people when you populate Mars. So, and what do you do with the, the, the garbage and whatnot? So we're working with uh, that company, uh, NASA, uh, a local greenhouse company, major greenhouse company. And they're two of the folks today are up in the Northeast and we're working with a foundation because basically the exciting part about our uh, waste, waste energy piece, greenhouses need a lot of, they need power. Because mm-hmm. they have grow lights. Sure. They need uh, CO2. And basically, the emissions on this plant are basically CO2. Very very little conditioning. You pump it into the greenhouse because greenhouses buy massive amounts of CO2 to help the plants grow. Oh, really? buy, I didn't realize that. Greenhouse. Yeah, they need commercial greenhouses. Commercial greenhouses buy a lot of CO2. And they actually pump it in there they, because the plants eat it. Yes, exactly. And that's great. Um and they also need waste heat. So 
as this thing makes heat that comes off of it, you can you can funnel that into into the greenhouse so they buy less heat there too. So you have an entire system. And uh, a couple of the foundations that we've talked to are really looking forward to sustainability. And, you know, I'm sure you probably know that the, the major water issues around the world, that's really huge. And this year particularly um, with the drought in, in, in the food processing, Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had they've had they've had several uh, requests to get into a lot more detail because we're better off if we put greenhouses uh, around the different parts of the United States. The one thing I found out I just learned this a couple weeks ago because everything you do you go to college on every day. Mm-hmm. Mexico has fourteen thousand uh, acres of greenhouses uh, that they ship U.S. food to. So I thought I read that the other they I saw sh- that they ship. Food to the, to the US, U.S. from yeah from okay uh, not to from not good to go the other way I need help every day uh, so I went to Kroger uh, the day after I read it and I think ninety percent of the the uh, fruits and vegetables had uh, Mexico tags on it hmm. so uh, hadn't I hadn't really thought about it and so um, they also have a major carbon footprint by shipping things from you know trucking things from Mexico or California to uh, Maine or to uh, Florida. So you're suggesting that a uh, municipality in in Maine that had enough municipal waste Mm -hmm. could, in fact, uh, set up another industry of green growing all winter. Yes. uh, Despite their low temperatures and snow. Yes, and and that's where, uh, as far as this partnership, because Mexico is a great place. They don't have as much cost because the the warmth. NASA Glenn up in Cleveland uh, has done a lot of studying because they'll be looking at really tough places because of temperature. So they've developed uh, some really good software that we will use uh, if we go to uh, Maine. But you have to realize a lot of our tomatoes part of the year also come from Canada. Canada is one of the larger, Canada and Mexico are the two larger suppliers of uh, tomatoes to the United States. Well, I could see the lack of sunlight in Maine to be a problem for greenhousing it. Oh, put the grow lights in. Grow lights. Which run, run from electricity, which comes off of the municipal yeah. waste. You got it. Got it. It's so, a nice circle. Yes, that's that's, that's pretty good. Uh, the two partner firms you've selected are Vero and Energy 21. I frankly have never heard of either one of them. And probably our listeners haven't either. Yeah, uh, they're, they're uh, local companies here. Uh, the thing that... Uh, Basically, they specialize in power plants. And, you know, Cincinnati, I, get, I have to give a shout-out to uh, Rooster Roads and Green Umbrella because Cincinnati is uh, uh, really pushing to go green with the Green Umbrella organization and tie all the green the green uh, organizations together. Uh, so Cincinnati is also buying green power, even though it's not related to this. They're having green power for uh, the entire city. Um, and there's a lot of green stuff going on. Um, so th- this fits, uh, and when we were looking for engineering partners here, it fit because there's no power plants here. This is a micro power plant, but the engineering is basically the same. So the folks that we chose as partners have extensive experience in uh, coal-fired power plants, nuclear power plants, uh, and wind and solar. So, so and that's wh- here in Cincinnati. What is one of these power Pyrolyzer power plants cost, just from a budgetary perspective. Uh, three megawatts, 
three megawatts would probably be somewhere in the uh, thirteen to fourteen million dollar range. Hmm. Probably got to get one in my backyard right away. No, but the the uh, they because the efficiency they they can pay. They're not they're not for you or I basically. Okay. For uh, industrial parks or something like that, and they also can be used very easily in as uh, universities and uh, other industrial users are upgrading their uh, they're getting away from coal. Mm. So you can use wood with this plant if you have waste wood. One of the big plants that we're talking two of the big plants we're talking to in the south, you know, folks like Georgia Pacific have hundreds of thousands of acres. They have to clean the waste wood out daily and weekly to keep fire down and, and to, to make it accessible. So they have a lot of wood that just goes into landfill. Mm. So if you take that wood, uh, you can use it in a system like our like fertilizer, and then with that you get your power. But also uh, with wood, you get a very clean product that comes out. Twenty percent of it comes out as captured and sequestered carbon, and that basically is a charcoal. Charcoal. Charcoal is captured and sequestered carbon, or you can take that in a powder form and use it to put back in uh, as a fertilizer. Mm. So. Lots of interesting things that I've learned, and, and that's the fun thing about business. Um, you learn something every day, and hopefully I, re- I, I keep half of it. Good. We're going to take a uh, another short break here. We're going to be right back with Steve Jones. Again, if you have a question for Steve, call in at 646-595-4916. We're going to listen to a, a San LaRule. We're going to listen to San LaRule number... Hi, this is Paul Lanigan with Standard Training, and I'm here today to talk to you about Rule 21. Sell today, educate tomorrow. Christmas 2002 was a special Christmas for me because I just completed my first year in business but I had a problem. I had a very fast-looming tax filing deadline. Coincidence, or luck would have it, that there was, there's a well-known accounting software company that had a 10-day trial software offer that was in a local business periodical. I called the company. And I had my credit card in one hand, phone cradle like this under my chin, and I called the number. A very pleasant sales rep answered the phone and asked me how she could help. I said, I'm interested in that software package that you have. Straight away she said, oh, that's our new product, it's just released, and it'll do all your VAT returns for you automatically. Now, VAT is a type of transaction tax we have in business in in Ireland, but the problem is, sales training companies are exempt from VAT tax. So I told her this. So she then reached into her bag of features and threw another one at me. This will manage all your inventory for you. Of course, it's a training company. We don't have a lot of inventory. You see, she was trying to educate me on her product and trying to sell me on what my need is. Instead, if she had asked me, what prompted you to give us a call or how were you hoping I might be able to help you? I'd have told her that I needed a solution to file my taxes. I'd have told her that I was frustrated, that I was pulling my hair out, that I needed something fast. 
Remember the rule. Sell today, educate me tomorrow. Sell me on what I need right now. What's my priority? And then tomorrow, you can tell me about all the other wonderful things that your product does. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Steve Jones. We're talking about green energy. Steve, what is the relationship that you have with uh, UC or how they involved with this pyrolization process? Uh, we were introduced to the head of the UC uh, Environmental Health uh, Department oh, about, about a year or so ago. Uh, we also found some really interesting things that I didn't know about. I guess I didn't thoroughly understand what uh, e-waste we talked about a minute ago was and the problems that it creates. We started digging into it. We're doing studies around the world because most e-waste is shipped today to third world countries. Uh, and in use is platinum uh, and silver and gold. And, um, children, they can pour that. And I know they kill themselves. They, we, we did see some um, video of a city in China that's all they do, e-waste. I think, and I'm just using some figures if I remember them, you can't drink the water because the acid has been poured in for the last several years for probably 20 miles. The children have probably eight to ten times lead, more lead in their body than any other children in within the region or area. Uh, they die very early, and there's a huge amount of birth defects. Now, the United States is under a, an order to not ship e-waste overseas. I think it was MIT, from my reading, that did a study that showed that several hundred containers leave the U.S. every day marked as for repair. With the, uh, the, the basic problem being that they cannot, and I said use the word basic again, Mike, and I was, uh, that uh, they, are, they cannot be repaired. So uh, what UC is trying to do is come up with a, a way for the United States to handle the e-waste. The pyrolyzer is a good potential, and they are working with us to see if we can start testing and maybe build a small plant just for testing in the uh, this region right here. And what they will do then is monitor it, check to make sure there's two ways you can probably get it out with our system. Uh, the e-waste will go through our system perfectly and it'll make electricity. Plastic and rubber and things like that. So what do you do with the heavy metals like the gold, the platinum, well, the, and the lead? The the lead is, is comes out of scrubbers. Uh, we want to make sure that they do they want to make sure that they do. In our tests in Germany, we can scrub it out and, and mercury through the, through the system and it gets out. The minute pieces of gold, silver, platinum come out in that charcoal, that carbon that comes out the other end. Now, there's two ways of getting that out. Uh, one with a centrifuge, because of the difference in weight, a centrifuge. And we've only talked to centrifuge people. We've not tested it. That's why it has to be tested. Um, that's a possibility, a strong possibility. And the other is there is a chemical way where you have an enclosed chemical process that doesn't get out. So both of these options would be clean. And they'd also pay for themselves and also uh, back. There are also a lot of rare earth metals in uh, all of these components that are required. 
And China, when we're talking about them, they don't ship them to us anymore. So we have a great covering. And then just from the uh, economic side, it's good to recover the, the gold, silver, and platinum. Sure, sure. So what happened when you talked to Mr. Rumpke about doing a test on his uh, his land? We did, through a second, ask them mm-hmm. if they would be interested. They said that they have things that they're working on right now. Hmm. How interesting. Well, it, you know, I have no – everybody has their own business. Everybody's doing their own thing. So uh, we have enough people out there to talk to without having to push somebody harder than they want to be pushed. The technology. I've been told that Cincinnati is 25 years behind the rest of the rest of the world. The issue, I mean, from I'm a businessman and we understand that. But if mm-hmm. you you mentioned Maine earlier, if you go to Maine, the tipping fees are ninety dollars. Here they're twenty five to thirty, and tipping fees is what they call landfill fees. If you go to a landfill in Maine, you, you pay it ninety bucks for a ton of garbage you drop off. Here it's twenty five or thirty. So if the plant is given those fees, it's, I'd rather put one in Maine or California where they're also about that high. In um, Japan, or in Cincinnati, Ohio. Uh, the, the wholesale rate for electric is probably four or five cents. In Japan, because they're shutting off a nuclear, probably 28 to 30 cents. So from a business point of view, and also uh, uh, helping them solve their energy problems, uh, let's go build some in Japan. You understand? I mean, well, no. the, the rule in selling is you have to touch 100% of the desirable opportunities. Yes. And it sounds like where the cost of electricity is, well, the cost of gas in Europe is much higher. Right. It pays to put the plants there. Exactly. Now, the U.S., I am positive, will come around because we also we don't have the water shortages that they do in the third world countries or China or, or a lot of the places. But uh, if you read what their science is, whatnot. So let's go back for our listeners. What's the connection between creating gas out of uh, garbage and water? The, the major we use very little water in our system, but the major c- connection there that <laughs> that I jumped around on personally probably uh, is I went back to the food because using the system in conjunction with food processing uh, with climate change and possibility of our lands getting a little less food, it takes a one tenth as much water to grow something hydroponically than it does in the soil. Interesting statistic that I read uh, a week ago as we were digging into this material with uh, the food processing. Ohio, Ohioans eat 40, 40 to 43 billion dollars in fruits and vegetables a year. They grow less than one percent of it in the state of Ohio. All the rest of it has a carbon footprint coming from Mexico or California, Florida, or somewhere. So you're saying we could grow. Coconuts, avocados here in our climate in a greenhouse, no. hydroponically. No, I'm saying you can grow. Working uh, kit, they've grown 83 food products for testing for growing in outer space, basically. Uh, I don't remember seeing avocados. I might have seen avocados, but I don't remember coconuts. But what you do is you can get uh, squash, uh, tomatoes. Uh, Green vegetables, um, potatoes, things like that. 
and some of them have a much longer lifetime. But if if you need food, uh, you can go with it that way for a lot longer. So, so how are you going to market uh, with this green technology? You know, that's a that's a great question. I've been accused of that. <laughs> with any business model, you try to you, you how you how are you going to get to market? We've done this because of my experience with folks that I knew and folks that uh, Frank at Pyrolyzer knew and my other partners knew. We cast out among our friends and family or previous customers, and right now we're just swamped. We really need, uh, as far as inquiries and people starting things, each one of these takes a lot of engineering just to get to the point before you start permitting or something. And you have to remember, in the last year, we had, we were getting all the systems together and talking these are uh, expensive systems, as we said. There's a lot of permitting and a lot of things that have to go through to, 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 to sell one. So we have a lot of pipeline, um, but we could probably use some help with people. Mm-hmm. And that takes money, and we'd like to sell the first two or three in the U.S. and then probably expand the organization. So are you guys still funding now, or are you going to be moving towards this cr- so-called crowd or cloud funding? Uh, we are uh, funding today. Uh, we have two or three, two, I can say, that it, uh, that are interested. The issue that you have as a businessman, um, some of the folks that have seen it, had their engineers take a look at it and love it, sometimes they want 85% of it, if you know what I mean. Okay, so you ran into some vulture capitalists. Uh, and, you know, vulture capitalists, I love them and hate them. In the mm-hmm. last five years, a couple of my friends became VCs and uh, all those. And Jap Orr has probably had five uh, new accounts through those guys because they say, we need some marketing help. The problem with us, is with Jap Orr, has always been, if we do a good job and help them sell the company in a year, we lose the account. So I think the longest we've had a VC given company is 18 months. So that might be Jack would be taking a piece of equity in addition to cash for doing your work. We definitely try. There's no try. There's either do or do not. You said that. Okay. That's the bottom line. And I can understand why I've chosen on many occasions not to take that equity position in a client because it biases what we do. Uh, we we actually have in two, Mike, but generally into that that's a that's a different that's a whole another set of business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how many employees does uh, your green energy company have today? Uh, three. Okay, and when you when you talk to your prospects about the product that want to move ahead. Uh, how much do you charge to do the engineering to figure out whether or not their project is viable? Dollars. A million dollars. Now, against the $13 million plant. Yes, that's part of the 13. Okay. It's called a front-end engineering, engineering and design study. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what, what you're saying is we have three companies right now waiting to give us the million dollars. Now, that of course, that you won't take it, of course. We'll take it. So what do you mean what waiting to get to you? Well, they have to, they're checking on their, there's a lot of things when you get into this. 
They're checking on grid. Uh, they're checking it. We're helping them check on prices, grid. Uh, basically, they made the decision they want to put in a plant. Uh, but before you start putting the million dollars down, you have to make sure there's no other issues. Uh, we talked. You know, when you sell some capital equipment, it's different than selling shoes. And I, I love shoes, but it's a little different. Well, we start at the top, and if Vito decides that he wants to spend thirteen million dollars for a, a power plant, didn't uh, put in some type of cold fusion power plants? I think so. Yes, or, it, was, it wasn't that exactly, but something special, right? Right, and uh, the guy decided he wanted to do it, so they did it to power mm-hmm. their buildings. Uh, all you need to do is get one or two guys like that. We're looking every day. Every day. Every day. Okay, we're going to take a another short break. Hi, I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule Number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. A skilled hunter knows how to track his prey cautiously and patiently, and waits for the exact moment to fire his shot. He waits to make sure that his prized target is lined squarely in the crosshairs of his scope before pulling the trigger. As salespeople, our process should be very similar. We have a responsibility to make sure we know exactly what that prospect's needs and wants are and how our product or service can fulfill them. We also need to know exactly how much the prospect is willing to commit in terms of time, resources, and money to solving their problem. And we need to know the decision-making process that the prospect is going to go through in order to evaluate our product. And probably most importantly, we need to let the prospect know that we expect a decision at the end of our presentation. Only once we have a fully qualified prospect do we fire our kill shot and deliver the presentation. I'm Rich Gorman with Sandler Rule Number 22. Only give a presentation for the kill. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Steve Jones. Steve. Uh, you're in a complex selling business with definitely demand creation. Maybe you could share on our audience a complex problem uh, that you've solved with an equally complex solution. In our world, we've got this theory of operation that says simple solutions to complex problems are invariably wrong. Therefore, if you have a complex problem, you need a complex solution. Uh, can you think of one like that, a complex problem that you've had? That you've oh, we, we, we seem to have complex problems. Uh, I can think of back for years we had complex problems. In many businesses, yes. sure. And uh, one uh, defense client we had, uh, we still have, uh, about f- five years ago came in and said, we lost because a, a uh, California senator changed the request from the Marines and put it in their local California company. And they said, we've not really worked Washington, D.C., but our technology is just as good. So we put together an article, fairly simple, everything takes a little time. 
we did a uh, put together a program and visited most of the people in the Armed Services Committee in D.C. We spent time there talking to them. Uh, I don't, I couldn't exactly call it lobbying. We were communicating. I don't drink martinis anyway. But we made sure that the communications was there, that their people knew, and also that, that the Ohio group of legislators had our back. Don't let somebody from somewhere else take us out. All we want to do is have a fair shake. And that particular, uh, the start of that led to uh, the company having higher visibility and eventually coming down to one one of two for a major contract and getting first $175 million. And, and within about a year, they, the government doubled it to $350 million. So it made uh, jobs in Cincinnati, and it uh, really helped quite a bit. So, so, so how long did that project take you? That project took us um, 18 months, probably. 18 months. How much? Uh, how many conversations did you figure you needed to have in Washington? We had them with uh, two or three uh, groups of small groups of people, plus uh, both Ohio senators and. Uh, probably 12 or 14 Ohio representatives. Now, when I say that, we met physically with one senator. We met physically with two reps. Everybody else was their chief of staff or their, their defense guy. And really, when you're working that and getting the communication across, they're the key guys because, you know, Barack or Mitt or whoever, we can sit down and talk all day, but it's their chief of staff, and they're folks that get the work done. So these folks. Mm-hmm. Now, did you did you yourself go to Washington for these conversations, or did did you, did you have an employee there? I did. You did personally, yes. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, when you look out at the, the our uh, our marketplace here, mm-hmm. okay, the uh, opportunities and possibilities that you see for your green energy. We're we're learning more every day because doing it for about a year. It's, it's, you know, we see tremendous opportunity in the industrial side, which which is what we're finding. Uh, as they up, I forget, there are several hundred small coal-fired plants in the U.S. Because of EPA restrictions, right, you know, uh, they will be changing to macro to wood, to something else. Or shutting down. Yeah, or shutting down. So we have the opportunity here, and uh, two or three would we can find some local feedstocks, and that's the the thing with the thing. That's a technical term. Thing with this plant is it can use a variety of feedstocks. Doesn't have to be just garbage. Some some use. Uh, We've talked about garbage. We've talked yeah. about wood, uh, plastic. Plastic. Can use uh, tires. Tires. E waste. Hmm. Any biomass. Uh, it can use coconut husks. If we talk to some folks in the Philippines, you mentioned coconuts earlier. Yeah, sure. You can use coconut husks. You just need a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So in some of the island nations. Yeah, we got a big shipment of them in last week. Yeah, well, whatever, whatever is as a carbon base, because it's the carbon uh, and that gives you the BTU value. So any of the, anything, basically, you can put it together. Next yeah, so if you need a bunch of coconuts before you leave, see Carmen. She's got a, a whole uh, It'll go with my dress. <laughs> you think I'm kidding you. <laughs> Uh, what do you think the obstacles are in 
getting widespread um, acceptance of this prioritization process. It's like any other. We are Jaffors tackled several totally new processes. You know, like from the other things we even talked about, bringing on new technology, getting the money people in um, the big money people to say, well, you've only built three. I will love this plan. I will put my money in a people hundred because that way there is no risk whatsoever. At three, there's still some risk in a new technology. And I find it interesting because we've had Boston and New York and uh, California, and they say, we're we're innovators. We want to do something totally new. How many of you built three? Mm-hmm. Three is not enough for me because I'm a money guy. I mean, and I understand because I work, we worked with So how did money. you find the psychological compelling pain that made them open their checkbooks and write the check for a million dollars? Because at this time, and I have a lot of friends in the in the wind and the solar industry, this plant can pay for itself without government subsidy. What's the return on investment on a typical plant? A typical plant in Ohio would be crappy. Mm-hmm. You'd probably pay it because of we have very cheap uh, electric rates if you're going to go electric. Oh, okay. If you're going to go electric, very cheap. If you're going to go to Rhode Island, It'll pay for itself in less than three years. So it's because the electric rates, you know, you go from three cents or four cents that they'd pay you per uh, kilowatt versus somebody will pay you 14 cents. So Southern California with Good. cheap electricity won't work. No, but Northern it, California with yeah, you generating it work. will and, work and, because they're worried about air quality. But they have, uh, we've talked to them and the EPA folks there in California, they have two or three huge tire hills with millions of tires. So we have talked to them about maybe putting a system in that may be mobile or be able to take it back down and just let it run there, run tires for five years, pick it up, move it to another pile. So mm-hmm. but they that's been a that's a real uh environmental issue for them. So most tires have steel in them. Yes. Uh, tell our audience how you plan to get rid of the steel in the tires. You don't and uh-huh. you basically cut the tires up into uh, two inch or less pieces. Mm-hmm. And through the system, as the tires go through with the steel belts in them, with the steel belts in them, uh, the rubber uh, gasifies mm-hmm. and the little pieces of steel just stay there. And so at the other end, you have your carbon powder plus your steel pieces that are two inches or less. You put it in a screen, take the steel that you've screened out, and then you recycle it. Okay, so you sell the steel. Yes, and it's a nice buck, too. Okay, that's a good way to solve a problem. You can also sell the uh, that uh, rubber in tires as carbon black. Mm-hmm. And so if you get uh, if you put in a 100-ton plant, you'll get out about 20 to 25 tons of that carbon powder. And that carbon powder is carbon black, which is $1,200 a ton. So you can sell that as a – it's a double-dipping most of the systems I've seen. So you can take that carbon back and back into tires. Yes. Or paint pigment. Yes, either one or, or uh, <laughs> some of your eyelashes or whatever. They use, use carbon black in that too, really? or whatever. But the. Uh, I don't use it too much. Though. Yeah. Now, this is used or, or recarbon. So you can only use it in retread tires, but still, it's a huge market for trucks and stuff. Uh, only virgin carbon black in the United States goes to original equipment tires. I learned that too as we were going through all this. So now you know. Yeah, it's more than I wanted to know. I'm uh, good at that. 
more than you want them to know. Yes. What do you think the biggest obstacle is in, in adoption of green technology like you have? I think the biggest obstacle is education. People, number one, they don't know what a paralysis is. They know what an incinerator is. So incinerators have been uh, nasty. I've had problems. Uh, lots of problems. Lots of problems. We also, we've had a number of engineering folks vet this process. In fact, you, if you wanted to build a new incinerator, I, I challenge you to get a permit. I would hope so, right. People like a permit. So. They just built one in Florida. Yeah, probably uh-huh. the first one in the country. Probably. In ages. Well, in ages. There's, there's still some around. There's one in Indianapolis today. Right. Uh, but a new one. Not a new one. Yeah, no. These guys at uh, Healthcare Waste Solutions who just sold their company for $245 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, they sold. They were. They had, I believe it was 15 hazardous medical waste incinerators around mm-hmm. the country. And this no one else could yeah. be licensed to build such a thing today. Yeah, this system works with hazardous waste. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it takes a separate permit, but it cleans everything, sterilizes everything, and it's um, very efficient. So we have not tackled that market yet because we have, and after several months, we have enough targets with our people right now to do it because people are running all over the place. Again, Steve, so uh, if someone wants to contact you to talk about green energy and pyrolization, the best way to contact you is? Phone five one three two four one two 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 or www.geegreensolutions.com or www.jaap-orr. Good, Steve. Uh, again, I want to thank you for being our guest today. I hope, folks, you, you learned something about green energy. And Steve, I'm going to be giving you a copy of Sandler's uh, book, The Eleven Sandler Success Principles. There. Thank you. Uh, this book uh, got released at the end of April. Immediately shot to number one on the Amazon list, uh, jumped and onto the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Uh, great book. It was written by Dave Matson and Bruce Seidman. Uh, and I'll read it. Tonight. I'll start tonight. Top bestseller, and maybe you'll even get involved in Sandler. Who knows? Scott, again, Steve, thanks for being with us. Scott, why don't you uh, take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at Mike Roth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.